Uh, I have not, and so thank you for finding it. Thanks for taking some time out of your, your first morning of the lecture to be here. Uh, but so grateful, so grateful. Thank you so for passing those out. Uh, it's an honor to be with you. I know most of you in this room, and I'm honored by your presence. If I don't know you, I'm excited to get to know you and, and walk with you, uh, help you in any way that I can in your journey uh, with Jesus. Uh, but thank you for being here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm Thomas Fitzpatrick. I've been in full-time ministry for about 20 years, uh, seven of which was here at Pepperdine as the campus minister. And so uh, we come back here, it's very bittersweet, thinking, why did we ever leave this place? Uh, but it's such a cool spot. So I was in campus ministry for many years, have been an associate lead minister in Mexico, uh, Colorado, and California over the years. So a few things I've learned, a few scars, uh, you know, gathered over the years, but uh, excited to share some things. Uh, I'm assuming that if you attend a class called the Prodigal Pastor or Prodigal Preacher, uh, first thing on Wednesday morning, uh, you probably fall into one of several categories. One is you're just a friend or my wife, and so you have to be. <laughs> uh, but the other category is probably this. As a pastor or a church leader, you've personally fallen, failed, or maybe feel like you're about to flame out. Maybe that describes it. Or you know, are connected to, or you have worked for a pastor or a church leader who has fallen, failed, or is about to find out. Or you're currently working for somebody, or you're in a church setting, and you're fearful that your pastor or church leader would fall, fail, or flame out. You probably fall into one of those categories. And if so, you're not alone. Uh, all three are true for me at one level or another. And so I wanted to share some thoughts um, and share some insight, maybe some encouragement with you. Because if you do fall into any of those categories, or maybe all three of them, you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. Uh, we're all aware of the high-profile ministry leaders who have kind of fallen or uh, failed, if you will, right over the years. They've, they've kind of succumbed to Satan's schemes, if you will. Mark Driscoll, Bill Hybels, Ted Hatton, Stephen Carl Lentz, Rabbi Zacharias, right? The list goes on and on and on. And every time we hear about it, although it's increasing in its number and regularity, my heart, my heart sinks, and I hope that yours does as well. Right? There's nothing good or joyful about hearing about that. And in headlines of a church scandal, boring, moral failing, uh, it's not just for those that are in high-profile positions. They get the advertising, right? They get um, the airtime when it happens. But it happens everywhere, in every size church, in every type of ministry setting. According to World Impact Ministries, uh, and a recent survey conducted by Christianity Today, nearly 40% of pastors have had an extramarital sexual affair since entering ministry. 50% of pastors' marriages end in divorce. 70% of pastors continually battle depression. 18% of pastors visit a pornographic website at least twice a month, with many visiting it more than once a week. 90% of pastors said their training was inadequate for ministry. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry permanently every month in America. 80% of pastors' wives feel pressured to be someone they do not feel they need to be or are called to be in the church. And over 50% of pastors' wives thought their husband entering the ministry was the worst decision that they made for their family ever. Really encouraging, isn't it? Let's just kind of stare out into the blue abyss that is the ocean out there and try to gather our thoughts on that. And there's just... There's just something heavy about, about that. And maybe the, the stats are skewed, maybe it wasn't a great you know, pool from which they were gathering that information, but there's some truth to this. Is there not? Something's going on. And I've personally experienced a lot of this in my own life, and so I, I call this class uh, the Prodigal Pastor 
Because it seems like creatures, maybe more than other people, give in to or succumb to temptation or tend to throw in the towel or they just find themselves in the pig slop for one reason or another. And so the pig slop is kind of at the heart of this lesson, but also at the heart of the story in the scripture, Luke 15. You probably all know the story like the prodigal son. It's the story of, of two Two brothers, if you will, two sons, the younger of which believes, for one reason or another, that he would be better off if his father would just get out of his way. He'd be better off if the father were out of the picture, the dad were dead, and the son could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And so the young man then squanders his share of the family wealth in uh, gambling, drugs, prostitution, the Bible says, wild living. It's basically the story here of the scandal in the church, right, again and again and again. What I want to talk about today is that pastors and preachers are not exempt from this, and I think, in fact, maybe because of the role or some of the personality traits that they have, maybe they are actually more likely to become the prodigal than anybody else in the church. So I want to think through why that might be the case. See, the story of the prodigal son kind of hit me a few months ago. It's not the story of a pagan who has this kind of come to the Lord, come to Jesus moment, was living a certain way, and then became the beloved. It's not even the story of adoption, where a young man was out and about, kind of didn't have a family, didn't have a connection, didn't have an inheritance of any kind, and then was adopted, and then kind of became who he needed to become. It's the story of the beloved, right? The son, who was known and loved and part of the family to begin with. He was in, and then something happened along the way where he lost his Something happened where he lost his understanding of who the father was, who he was, what that meant for him. And so this really hit me hard. But maybe it's not, you know, all of the heathen sinners out there that the prodigal talk about that all the time, all the prodigal sons, those that don't really know the Lord. Maybe it's those who knew the Lord really well. Or in his home, in his house. And then something happened in his heart. Turned into walk, you know, caused him to turn away or walk away. So he ended up in the pig pen, the pig slot, right? The son is literally wishing he could go back home and be with his father again. So this morning, I have some good news and some bad news. Let's start with the bad. The bad news is that countless ministers are the prodigal son. Yes, the story, as we shared in Luke 15, applies to those sitting in the pew. But the story of the prodigal really applies to the one telling the story in the pulpit. And we have to be really honest with a lot of pastors find themselves in the pig pen. It can look like anything from suicidal ideations to sex scandal, everything in between, but it's all the same. They, like the son in Luke 15, have lost sight of who they are. They've lost sight of who the father is. Right? They've lost sight of their identity. They've lost sight of their calling, their purpose, their goodness. And they have discovered or believed to have discovered that something else, anything else is going to satisfy them and serve them better. But then staying faithful and serving them. So I'm no expert, I want to share a few ideas, and I really want to kind of open it up for a discussion. Maybe where you've been, what you've experienced, and maybe how we can, can do some things about this. So maybe it's for us as pastors and preachers in the room, maybe it's for someone close to us, but I hope that we will find our way back home, because that's the good news. The good news is that even as pastors and preachers, the product will welcome home. Always. And I hope that will be true for many of us in this room, and those of you here thinking about kind of thinking about in terms of this class. Okay, so let's start with why you run from the Father. In my experience, there are three reasons that ministers, preachers, and church leaders fall away. Uh, I have kind of some fill in the blanks for you if you're a note taker. The first is the broken self. The broken self. 
is one of the main reasons why we find ourselves in the pig's lot. You see, if pastors and preachers weren't people, then we wouldn't have any problems with the king. But the problem is, they are the people. Flesh, blood, fallen, sinful, broken people. And we tend to forget about the humanity of our leaders in the church, right? We exalt them to almost this kind of demigod status. Folks who have achieved a higher level of morality or who don't struggle with sin like the rest of us do. I remember a close minister friend told me a story years ago. He said that he was driving with his wife down the freeway, and there was a billboard on the side of a woman that was dressed kind of in an exotic way, in a position in an exotic way. And she turned to him and said, Honey, as the preacher, I am so grateful you don't struggle with stuff like that. And he just kind of nodded his head and said, Yes, dear, all the while trying to catch a second or third glance at the billboard with the wife not noticing, right? It's kind of a naive statement, an incorrect assumption on her part. And I think it's one that a lot of folks in our church have. So newsflash, preachers are people. They're people. They're broken, and they have to deal with that brokenness. So the scripture would say the decay in their own spirituality. They have to deal with that on a daily basis. And they have to deal with it in a very public way. But as we're going to see, it's almost always in a very private way, which can be even more destructive. So when, when folks believe that pastors or preachers kind of went into the ministry because they have a better prayer life or a better connection to the Lord or they're just holier than other people, they're more dedicated, it kind of set the preacher up for disaster, right? When there's that expectation, this is not a real person. Your preacher struggles with sin. Your preacher is selfish. Your preacher is being attacked on a daily basis and oftentimes it's too weak to withstand the attack. Now this shouldn't change your opinion of your preacher. What this should change is how you love on how you come alongside the preacher, how you care for your preacher, how you pray for your preacher, how you encourage your preacher. But more than other people coming to terms with the humanity of our leaders, it's our leaders. We ourselves have to come to terms with our own humanity, right? We have to come to terms with our own fallenness as ministers. Church leaders need to understand what our humanity means and then how it manifests itself in our daily lives. So I have for you there on that first page, a, a chart, if you will. This is not my own stuff, right? The best preacher just copy and paste great things for everybody else. This is from a group, uh, a couple here that we were close to, we were by Terry and Sherry Harlow. They led the Boone Center for the Family. Uh, Dory's here kind of representing them today, which I'm super excited about. And they talk about this material, that they, they label it as the pain cycle. Now, this might be new to you, but it's something you've already seen before. But the pain cycle is a way to understand why I do hurtful and harmful things to myself and to others. So they would argue that human relationships and kind of really even our, our core self is based on two pillars, love and trust, right? Love and trust are really what everything in my life is built upon. Love is kind of my identity and trust is my sense of safety. And here's the problem, throughout life, we all get hurt and these pillars get rocked at best if not completely demolished at worst, right? Love and trust comes in, and in many of us, because of the neglect that we experienced, abuse, we lost a loved one, we were picked last for the team, right? We became in last place in the spelling bee. Uh, we only felt that we were loved when we performed, we got straight A's. Uh, all of that stuff, right, caused those two pillars to shake at best or crumble at worst. We didn't feel loved, and we didn't feel safe. Something in our world caused us to question one of those two pillars. And so because of all of that, 
we now react, right, at the deepest levels. This is almost um, an unconscious level. You don't even know you're doing it, but when you are hurting these two levels, you're going to develop a coping mechanism, a strategy, right? You feel unloved and unsafe, and so, like Adam and Eve, what do you do? Well, you cover up. You point the finger. You hide. You do destructive things. We see this in the garden, and we see it every day in our lives and the lives of church people. So there on page one is kind of a list of the ways that maybe the top you feel a certain way because of something that happens to you, and then the arrows will lead down to what that causes you to feel. I feel a certain way, and then I react in this way. This is how you deal with pain. It's called pain cycle. That first box, all of us feel those certain ways because of certain things that happen. And then we react in these other ways. And as a, as a church leader, you're not exempt from this. Like, I wish I could say, man, because you are a full-time minister, this pain cycle doesn't apply to you. You don't have to worry about what I call the spinning wheel of death, right? You ever have that on your computer? It's like, oh, no, not that, not that. Same thing in our spirit. We have a spinning wheel of death, and we enter into it. Someone says something. Something happens. We don't reach a goal that we had set. Finances don't come through the way that we had hoped. Spinning wheel of death. Mentally, maybe physically, Emotionally, spiritually, entering this pain cycle. Let me point out a few of my personal favorites, and this is just me, maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. For me, when I enter into my pain cycle, it somehow revolves around performance. I feel the need often to have it all together, to know the word inside and out, to have the best messages, to lead the best staff meetings, to have at least one phrase in my sermon that's tweet worthy, right? Like, I feel this pressure, and in my worst moments, this performance-driven mindset causes me to believe that I'm only as good as my last sermon. And if my last sermon wasn't great, then right now I'm not great. And then I enter into the pain cycle. I'm going to cope with that somehow in some way. Pride, for me, is another one. Uh, most preachers I've met are a tad bit narcissistic, if not fully narcissistic. Uh, we love the spotlight, we crave attention, right? It feels good to have a microphone to be in a position of leadership, to be praised and applauded. And most of us believe that we're kind of a gift to the church, and if they would just unpackage the gift and let us go, we would grow the church, bless the church, and transform the church, right? And then when that doesn't happen, when your ego is knocked down, in one way or another, maybe negative comments, negative attendance, negativity of any kind, suddenly your ego is hurt, pain cycle. I'm going to cope with that now in a certain way. I'm going to deal with that in a certain way. For me, people-pleasing is another trigger. I don't want to disappoint people. I have kind of a savior complex, where I want to be the one that goes in and fixes everything, that always has the answer, right? I want to be sympathetic and supportive. And when people-pleasing kind of feeds my ego, it also feeds that performer mentality. But then watch out, because people are not easily pleased. <laughs> and if they're not pleased, they're going to be known to you, especially as a leader, and suddenly you can see. See how this works? There's also pleasure. We feel the need as, as ministers to deny ourselves often of a lot of things so that we can kind of practice what we preach, but oftentimes that denial is going to pop up in some pretty ugly ways. There's a scene in the movie Shock of Love, which came out years and years and years ago. It's probably 20 years old now, but it's such a fascinating scene. The mayor of this little town has been denying himself of sweets his entire life. And this lady comes through their town and opens up a chocolatery, and he is so mad that she is doing it. She's a heathen, pagan. And he has denied himself so long that one night he can't stand himself any longer. He breaks into the chocolaterie, 
passes out because he eats so much chocolate and he's right there in the display window and the next morning the entire town walks past to see him. But does that not happen to us? Deny, 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 deny until you destroy yourself. This is an interesting dynamic. So here's kind of what makes this all so destructive. I think I have this underneath here, here on the back side there on the next page. Our personhood is literally connected to our livelihood. And that's an interesting dynamic. Our personhood is connected to our livelihood. There are other jobs where your personal life affects your paycheck. But man, that's true in the ministry, isn't it? Admit that you're struggling with porn or questioning your faith and fighting with your wife, and suddenly your job might be on the line, which means your paycheck might be on the line, which means your ability to love and care for your family is on the line. So when your purity and your paycheck go hand in hand, we have a problem. When your purity and your paycheck go hand in hand, we have a problem. And all of this falls under the broken system. So that's our second broken thing that I think causes ministers and pastors to fall face first with the pink pain. There's a broken self or people. We're broken people. We have a pain cycle that we enter into, triggered by a lot of different things. And then we have a broken system. The church system and model that currently exists is very troubling. A couple of aspects I think that make it such. First is the pressure of the position. There's a unique pressure found in preaching, found in leading a church. Not a lot of folks can relate to that. This is probably true in many different areas. Like I can't relate to being the star quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, right? So yes, I'm not saying that preachers are the only ones that have a tough job. But I think they have a uniquely tough job. There's, first of all, the expectation of what ministry will be before you enter into it. And then the reality of what it really is when you enter into it. That's shocking for a lot of people. You don't train our guys or gals very well for that. Another thing is the understanding of what it's going to take to be successful. You have to be a great preacher and teacher, a leader and a manager, an administrator and a pleasure, a fundraiser, a facility manager, a counselor, an event planner, a social media influencer. You could be great at 9 out of 10 of those things, but the one thing you're not great at, the church is going to kind of bark. Why don't you do this? So there's the, the pressure of the position, and then there's the complexity of the calling. If you ask a preacher or a church leader why they first entered into ministry, I imagine the answer would almost always come down to, I love the Lord, I wanted to help other people do the same. Right? It's simple, it's beautiful. Felt the calling to help people be Christ. Here's the problem though with the simplicity of the calling. That doesn't pack the seats, pay the bills, and please the others. And so why you enter into it, and now why you have to stay in it, could be very, very, very different things. And so we wrestle with that, right? You add pain and politics and personal problems in there, and now it's a complex, really complex system that can be destructive in many levels. I think the reason so many ministers flamed out during COVID is because you've got a lot of expectations, right? Uh, they've been pouring into people, they've been teaching people, they've been discipling people for so many years. And in a matter of a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of days, everything that they did for those years, maybe even decades, the expectations they had for other people, kind of flipped on its head. They're being judged as a, as a preacher or a pastor or as a church leader to see if other people are becoming more like Jesus. And in a matter of moments, folks were being anything but Jesus. And it seems that all the work and effort they poured into for mattered little or accomplished very little. That, that's crushing. It's crushing. To see someone that you thought was going to have all the fruits of the Spirit in increasing measure throughout the course of their life suddenly become the angriest, bitter, you know, most bitter, most hostile person in your church. What do you do with that? 
We were being judged by the fruit of the Spirit, and now that fruit is rotting. What does it mean about your effectiveness as a minister? What does it mean about how good you are at your job? So we've got the pressure of the position, the complexity of the calling. This is going to, again, throw us into the pain cycle. It could be physical, it could be mental, it could be um, escaping, it could be depression, any number of things. But here's, here's the problem with the system, is that a vast majority of ministers are going to live in hiddenness if and when these things start to become too much for them. In our current system, there is no safe place for the minister to struggle or wrestle or confess things. It's just a broken system. Right, if you tell an elder you're drinking because the staff is frustrating you so much, you probably won't be leading the staff any longer. <laughs> Not a good combo, right? If you tell a staff member that pornography has ripped your heart, good chance they're going to rip your heart out as they tell somebody else about your struggle. Tell about your own depression from the stage, and there's a good chance you'll never get a chance to be on the stage again. It's just kind of how the system works. The system does not support preachers or teachers or leaders very well at all. Where is the community in this, right? Where is the ability of, of everyone to come together to rebuild and renew and restore the people? It's the age-old question. Where does the barber get his haircut? Where does the pastor get pastored? Where does the preacher get loved on supported? Where does the leader of the church confess to their own brokenness? The system, as it stands, lends itself to preachers doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You run and hide. You blame other people. You do whatever you can to act like it's all okay. And you will fall hard before anyone ever knows there's even a problem. Because in the current system, no one actually wants to know there is a problem. Or if they do know, they have no clue what to do with so we accept and embrace the humanity of everybody in the pews, don't we? We even accept and embrace the humanity of our elders. Even this past week, I've got into a couple of our elders. People say, well, that's just Terry. Well, that's just Roger. So we accept the humanity of everybody else. We don't ever accept the humanity of the preacher. Why did he do that? Well, because this is Thomas. I've never had anybody give me an out because that's just Thomas. Man, I wish they could do that. We don't know how to handle the humanity of the person behind the pulpit. And when the preacher struggles, it's almost as if we feel like the gospel is somehow being undermined in a way that, that is not true with everybody else when they struggle. Right? Their struggles in the pew is like the opportunity for grace and redemption, the ability to put the gospel on display. But when the preacher struggles, it's like, what? Now the gospel's being undermined. How is that possible? These are things that have been said to me over the 20 years of ministry when I've wrestled with different things. Kind of hinted at struggles that I've had elders and leaders tell me, we'll figure it out, or else. I'm sorry to hear that. Get someone to preach for you this evening. Have you prayed about it? This is the advice from other leaders to the main leader when they're wrestling and struggling. Not great advice. Not let me describe the broken system to you in a slightly different way. Again, I know this is true in, in every area. We had some good friends. Even just yesterday, she had a tough day at work. I imagine this is true for her. But this I, I know to be true, especially in ministry. Let's say that, that you are a member of my congregation, or maybe even one of my elders, and you come to me and you ask me this question right now. Hey, how are you doing? Let's talk about that. 
I'm not sure you understand how complicated that question is. Right? How complex that question is. Are you talking about how my family is doing? Because my teenage daughter is getting into trouble at school. She started to be consumed by social media. My littlest daughter is driving me crazy because she still isn't sleeping through the night. I can't handle her temper tensions right now. My parents just got a little dog that is biting my kids, and I can't have them come over anymore. So if you want to know how I'm doing with my family, how about my job? See, I have a staff member who's making some really bad decisions and needs to be let go. I have a finance committee this afternoon where I'm going to figure out how to make up for a 50K projected shortfall. See what I'm doing there? How about me relationally? Because truth be told, I'm not doing very well. I don't have a lot of close friends. I feel terrible that I haven't made time to reach out to my closest friends. How about physically? You're asking how I'm doing physically? Well, I'm not great. I'm not exercising. I'm eating the way that I would like. At times, I hate the way that I look. I want to spend more time in nature, but I'm stuck in the office. Are you talking about my relationship with Jesus? Because right now I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about money and trust and anxiety, and I want to practice what I'm preaching, but I'm also flipping houses on as a side gig because I'm worried about retirement, if I have enough money the rest of my life. So, how are you doing, preacher? I'm not sure you really want to know, and I'm not sure I even. And I'm not sure I can give you an honest answer because I'm not sure I've been honest with myself. And if I do tell you how I'm doing, we're opening up a can of worms. And as Rika knows, guys always say, Sunday's coming. I ain't got no time to talk about that stuff because Sunday's coming. So as a result of this broken self being trapped in a broken system, our final broken thing is a broken spirit. And this is where pastors and preachers just default to, right? Things like this, saying to themselves, man, what's the use? No one really cares. No one even sees me. I deserve this, or I need this. I want to feel the pain to feel something. Everybody else gets shown grace, so why shouldn't I? I'd rather make a mess of the situation and continue to live in the situation. I'd be better off on my own, doing my own thing, living it up, and doing whatever feels good to me. Sounds like the prodigal song. It sounds like a lot of broken people in our world. The preachers just want. So in short, we become the prodigal son in that moment. And I won't ever judge a preacher or a, a, a leader for a moral failing or for falling away from the faith because I know exactly how they got there. I know exactly how they got there. And I'm still cleaning off the slop of my, my own messes and helping some of my closest friends to do the same in their messes. And I'm just sad and frustrated that the church puts all of the blame on the preacher or the pastor or the church leader. There's not a lot of collective we in those situations. We did this. This is our problem. How can we come alongside of this person? Where is the church? So I'm going to end with uh, some, some suggestions. And by suggestions, they're just questions. Because I'm not sure there are easy answers to this. This is a complicated situation. But here's some questions I think we should all wrestle with as we kind of go through and help us as leaders and our leaders kind of stay away from the pig pen. First is this, do you know what triggers your pain cycle? Right, that chart on, the, on page one there is, is designed to help you figure out what is it that triggers you. Is it a negative comment? Is it a negative report? Is it a negative staff member? Like, what is it? Is it a rejection from your family? Is it, you know, lower attendance on a Sunday morning when you had high hopes or expectations? What is it that triggers you? You've got to know what triggers you. Because you're about to go unbeknownst to yourself on the pain cycle. And you're going to cope with the pain somehow and somewhat. So what triggers you? A better question might, might be this, do you know how to get off the pain cycle? 
You're going to go on no matter what. So do you understand how to get off? And we don't talk a lot about this in the church, but holiness, sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, it's an active sport. It's a, it's a participation that we have to be in ourselves. It's not just sitting back and allowing the Holy Spirit to do it. Ephesians talks about this again and again and again. Take off the old self and put on the new. Those are verbs, action words, right? What are you doing to take off the old, to get out of the pain cycle, and put on a healthy coping mechanism? Do you know what that is for you? So you've got to spend some time really thinking through that. Do you know how to stop the negative thoughts? Do you know how to recognize when you're entering into one of those destructive behaviors? Do you know how to kind of see from afar, like, wait a second, right? I see what's going on. I need to stop this trend. Do you know how to speak truth over the lie, blessing over the curse? Do you know how to do that? It's tough to do. Uh, I'll show some resources here in just a little bit that might help you with that. So that's question number one. Do you know what, what triggers your pain cycle? Do you know how to get off your pain cycle? Question number two. Do you know who it is? Do you know who it is? This is an interesting question that was posed to me just a couple years ago by a ministry mentor. And I just have been kind of mulling it over ever since. Do you know who it is? Do you know who in your church the enemy will most likely use to bring you it's kind of a morbid question, isn't it? It's like, wow, to look out at the sheep and to try to find the wolf, but weren't we encouraged to do just that? Do you know who it is? It could be the good-looking woman that you're just naturally drawn to. It could be the overly flirtatious coworker in the office next to you. It could be the overly aggressive and angry congregant who will never stop talking to you. It could be the weird, you know, person that, that kind of asks questions that are somewhat passive-aggressive, but you see there's an agenda behind the question, right? Who is it? Who is it? And do you know who it is? Our eyes and our spirits have to be aware that the people around us, not all of them have our best intentions in mind. And the enemy is going to use someone in your church to try to bring you down. It's a scary thought. It kind of puts you a little bit hypersensitive, maybe a little hyper, you know, hyper alert. That's okay. Who is it? Not everyone on your team, not everyone in your church loves you. It wants to see you succeed. Do you know who it is? And then do you and your leadership have the courage to do what it takes to possibly remove that person or to at least safeguard you from that person? Question number three, do you know what to do with or in a spiritual crisis? So years ago, Mike Cope, the director of, of Harvard here, you know, confessed and kind of shared with all of us that, that he experienced a season that he refers to as the accumulation of griefs. It was just this kind of year after year of bad things happened. The death of his own daughter, the death of kids in their youth group, all these things happened. And it was this accumulation of grief. And he admitted going through a very deep kind of spiritual relational crisis between him and Christ. And in that moment, he needed to make a plan, right? So he decided that he was going to preach about certain things because of the crisis. He was going to carve out more time for Sabbath rest because of the crisis. He was going to seek wise counsel from other ministers during that crisis. He was going to serve the community, kind of unbeknownst to anybody else during that crisis. He was going to read books that reminded him of what he believed at one point or what he wanted to still believe because of the crisis. So he made a plan. He was in a crisis and he made a plan. And, and this should make sense to us because if a congregant were to come to us and say, I'm in a spiritual crisis, we should just pat him on the back and say, hey, just go, just go, you know, eat some Chipotle and be just fine. No. We, don't, we don't just placate their crisis and say, you're going to be fine. Don't do anything different. 
we say you've got to make the plan. You've got to put things in place to get you out of this crisis. The same is true for us. Do you know what to do in your own crisis? Because it's okay. We're going to have those moments of crisis where we don't believe, where we're not sure. Do you know what to do in those moments, though? Question number four, probably my favorite one, is this. Do you love me? Uh, probably my favorite story in all the scriptures, the one found in John 21. This is the recommissioning of Peter. And probably I resonate with this because I've made a mess of my own ministry, and I've denied Jesus in so many ways. Made a fool of myself and others. And so it's a fascinating story for a lot of different reasons. And when, when preachers talk about the story, maybe you've done it yourself, right? You talk about the number of times Jesus asked the question. Talk about the words used for love, right, in the series or in the, in the series of questions that he asks. I just want to focus on the question itself. The question itself, do you love me? The question is not, do you love leading others? Do you love preaching? Do you love studying, being on stage? Do you love being applauded and praised for your messages? Do you love ministry? He didn't ask that. What did he say? Do you love me? And I fear that a lot of preachers and pastors have fallen out of love with Jesus. And I'm not sure if they know how they would answer that question. Do you love me? And we need to be honest with ourselves because if the answer is no, then we need to make some changes. Maybe it is time to step out of the role. Or we need to change how we operate within the role. But something needs to change. Because if you don't love him, you will end up in the pit of him. It's just going to happen. One of the best ways that I have kind of evaluated my own spirit to see if I'm answering that question well is when I'm on vacation like this week. Whenever I take a break from ministry, I also take a break from Jesus. It seems like I don't need to pray or read or do anything spiritual this week because I'm on vacation. I'm not sure I love him if I'm answering the question in that way. I'm working for him. I'm not sure if I love him. Because if I love him, I still want to spend time with him if I'm away from my vocation. So maybe that will help uh, you answer that question. And then maybe last but not least, this question number five, do your elders or do your other leaders know how to best come alongside them? So every year I would do a review for each of my staff members and we'll go through their answers to several questions that I ask them. And then I'll fill out that same review and I'll send it to my elders. They don't ever ask for it. This is not a requirement of my job. But I'm like, you're going to read my answers, whether you like it or not. And so I'll put on your very, very honest suggestions for how they can support me. Stop talking about petty things with me on Sunday morning right before I go up on stage. Start defending me when people ask me, why is it so dark in here? Start praying for me about this particular struggle. Speak blessing over me and the staff as often as you can. Send me on a fully paid marriage retreat every single year. Safeguard me from this person. They have to know. They have to know how to support you. Because oftentimes we find ourselves kind of leaning into the pig pen, maybe even looking over the fence of it. We don't tell anybody. We need to be honest about that. We're pretty close to making a mess of things and we need some help. What if the prodigal son went to the father? What if the prodigal son went to the brother? How different with the story of Red if he goes to a mentor and he says, you know what, I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling with, with Dad's goodness. I just don't think he has my best interest in mind. I'm wrestling with my place. I just don't want to work here anymore. I just don't love it here anymore. I'm wrestling with that good man. It looks so much greener on the other side of that fence. That grass looks great right over there. What if you would have just told someone, I don't want to run wild. I don't want to do my own thing. I don't want to be constrained anymore by this 
Family, I'm not sure anything would have changed. But maybe I imagine hard conversations would have been had, prayers would have been offered, changes would have been made, and the son could have been spared a slide. I think the same is true for us as well. So I'm so grateful that you are here. We've got just a few minutes left. Um, I hope that something stirred in your spirit as you walk through this. If it was the pain cycle, if it was kind of your natural reaction to being hurt, maybe that was helpful to you. If you're thinking through how we can change the system to better support preachers and leaders, or maybe it's just your spirit. Maybe you feel somewhat broken this morning. Maybe this was a blessing to you to keep going. I hope that these words will help you avoid the pig pain altogether. Because the pig pain, it's not where you belong. You don't have to say If you're in the big pain right now, you can come home. Even as a preacher. You can come right. Let me just pray that we God. So grateful for the story of Luke 15. Because it's our story. Help us to see that you are good. And that at times we will choose to walk away from what is good. But that you will always welcome us back home. Forgive us for the broken self, the broken system, and the broken spirit that many of us are dealing with and wrestling with. Help us to, to find wholeness and healing. Help us to find our way back home, especially as leaders. I'll make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Questions, comments, anything that you guys would like to share, I would, I would be so honored to hear your thoughts. Fantastic. Thanks, so I, I actually do a service in Elmer Road Church, and, and what you described as far as COVID, and we had a young pastor who experienced a lot of experienced effectiveness prior to COVID, and um, so our church basically was cut in half in their ethnic after he kind of saw it out. Okay. And um, he felt that he just lost his effectiveness. Maybe the relationship that he had pulled into and again, just as you described, I felt the wasteland. And so um, last year he made a decision to resign from the church. And I still, in my heart of hearts, feel like he, you know, Satan was really blinding him as to how effective it really was. Yeah, and it is. And so even as a follower,
coaches, so we've been meeting with our pastors, and every single elder has preached. Wow, often in the church, um, yes, it's eating the pride. And so he prepared to start for the day. He always said that Jesus is the pastor. I love your heart, God, because you can be reshaped with him. This is probably needed by COVID, by the decline. They didn't need to be well. So I'm just blessing over that. And that so helpful. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Other comments? Yeah. Yeah, the quote on the back is uh, cutting truth. In ministry, our personhood is literally connected to our livelihood. So many jobs I work around. Southern Oregon, a lot of mills, and uh, people can go in with their time. And how they live is not really a reflection of their employer, but in ours, they die. And isn't that a challenge to When I went to Bible school, they said, it's the message that is important, not the messenger. <laughs> Stars of the right now, and a few weeks ago he got in trouble because he had a gun on video. And so his personhood and his livelihood were connected because he got suspended for a bit. But it wasn't forever. And I was on video with the gun, I'm not sure I'd probably ever reach again. So I'm not sure if there's an equivalent to it, but there's something about the messenger modeling his message. But maybe we've gotten the message wrong. It's, it's perfection. Can you model brokenness? Can you model struggle? Can you model wrestling? Can we not bring it back? The messenger doesn't have to be perfect, but is there a space for us to be able to even share those imperfections publicly or with our community? I'm not sure there is. These cohorts that Mike COVID have been doing across the country, I was one in one in 2019. It was very good. Yeah. Just like-minded folks, but they didn't any other comments or questions? I'd love to, y'all, sorry, we need more time for that. we got a few more minutes. I'm trying to figure out how to, when you mentioned that like, maybe the personality of, of people who are drawn to ministry, at least in the, in the pulpit, um, might, might lend itself to those kind of struggles. Um, and I think that there's a lot of like, really great things that we can tell. Like, you would love to have like, all of the elders from all the churches Say this is what you need to do, but um, the string two, two ideas together. There was a guy at the campus for Christ conference that said, "Choose well your hill to die on." Mm-hmm. Right. So, so how do you how do you promote that that um, that approach to to be able to be open? It sounds like you're you're saying to your elders, "I'm going to say these things because I'm not going there." Education, but not so much personality, right? In the corporate world, 
you'll do a disk profile, and you'll do a strengths finder. They want to know who you are as a person. And we say we do that in the church, but it's like one dinner with the elders and their family, and they don't know who you are as a person. No, we don't. I'm a huge Enneagram fan. I know there's some things that can be twisted and manipulated for evil in that, but I, I believe a lot of that narrative of each personality type. I would want to hire personalities, but if I hire a certain personality, I want to know what that means. Are they loose with their attention span? Are they their worst critic? Are they a people pleaser? Uh, do they struggle with commitment? Are they, what is their personality lend itself to? And then it's not a deal breaker, whatever they are, but now I know what to do for them. And I don't know if elders want to put the time in to do that. It's just easier to hire a person that's, that's a good fit, good preacher. Hope everything goes well in the office for you. And their personality makes you really take it difficult. And if you don't know who they are, Set them up for disaster. Like I had a, a staff member's father in Colorado, the pastor there, who was one of the like, most evil men I've ever heard. And he would come in almost every other week and just say, Yeah, I just didn't really get the message this week. It just wasn't really, wasn't, didn't connect. The points didn't make sense. Just little sly negative comments. And that crushed me as a seven, but also just as a man, the words of affirmation guy, all of that. None of the elders stood by it. None of them protected me. Now, I didn't tell them a whole lot because I just I still couldn't believe it was happening. But the honesty and then I think the understanding of what certain things would do to certain people. Because for other people, it would be like, yeah, forget you. I can care what you have to say. Right? The challenger would be like, oh, yeah? Let's go. <laughs> but for me, it's like, oh. So, do we know people? Do we know their places? They're probably not. Any other comments or questions? I hope you didn't hear me say that today that the preacher or the person in the pig slot bears no responsibility. That, that's not my heart at all. Uh, they've got to own what they did. Right? You make stupid decisions and decide to keep the slot, and that's on you. But hopefully we come alongside people and understand better as to why they did it, and maybe how we can help get them out of it, and maybe protect future people going in. Um, I do have a list. I apologize. I didn't put it on the screen. But if you want to come and take a screenshot of this, just a list of references that I have found to be incredibly help, uh, healthy and helpful. Um, we do a couple of titles. Uh, Let us pray, P-R-E-Y, the plague of narcissist pastors, what we can do about it. Um, Handbook of Narcissism and, and Narcissistic Personality Disorder, Out of the Shadows, Understanding Sexual Addiction, Fallen Pastor, Finding Restoration in a Very Broken World, Clergy and clergy spouses understanding stress and quality of life are both. Pastors' wives under the pressure of their husband's ministry. Uh, Stephen Coster wrote an amazing book called Why Pastors Have Affairs. The relationship between narcissism and clergy function. So there's some great resources here. A lot of that to go with kind of selfishness and an inwardly looking, you know, a broken self, but uh, it could be some, some good resources for it. So I'll just leave that up here if you want to take a picture of it by all means. Uh, my company information is on the top of that page. If you have any questions, I uh, want to follow up on you with that note to talk to you more about. Bless you guys. Thank you.